What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is John and Kevin's Big Stupid Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm John. And ladies and gentlemen, today we have a full house. (laughs) A full house. I can totally see that. This time I know we have people in the house. And, I'm, and I have a clue of what's going on. Normally, John has no idea what's happening, but now today you're, you're on track, right? <laughs> I'm totally on track. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, I had to run around thing. my house. Oh, go, ahead, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said I had to run around my house shutting everything off. I have eight computers going. I have iPads going. I got phones going. So I had to shut it all off to get ready for this. <laughs> so I was totally prepared to know what was going on today. It seems like you're still lagging a little bit, but let's hope it gets better by the end of the thing. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but ladies and gentlemen, there is a brand new movie that is uh, streaming right now. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. All right. And the new movie, it's a horror flick called Dream Catcher. Dream Catchers. Yes. And um, we have one of the stars of the movie, Elizabeth Posey. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me here. I'm super excited. We have the producers of the film, uh, brother and sister, Crystal and Brandon Veda. So give it up. Hey, how's it going? All right. And we have the writer and the director of the film, Jacob Johnston. Give it up for Jacob. Hey, hey it's good to be here. Thanks Welcome, everybody, us. to the show. Uh, I just want to start off, just tell us about the film, <laughs> whoever wants to take that off. <laughs> Jacob, get in there, man. Um. Yeah, so, so Dreamcatcher is, is a bit of a couple things. It's a love letter to the 90s ensemble horror films uh, of, you know, Robert Rodriguez, Wes Craven, um, Jamie Blanks, these people who, who really kind of set the bar and changed the way we look at slashers, the way that, you know, the 80s did it and they re, you know, evolved in the 90s and trying to reintroduce some of those elements um, with also a little bit of a, a nod to uh, Giallo, you know, the 70s Italian film. Um, Suspiria, Tenebrae, um, these films that really used color and, and character in a really meaningful, exciting way. Um, so it's a little bit of a blending both of those worlds and the story follows two sisters who uh, are a bit estranged and they come together with their friends at this underground music festival. And while there, um, some bad stuff goes down with, with you know, the f- fueled by drugs, we'll say. And then the rest of the film is following the aftermath of, of this uh, tragic event uh, at the festival, which also happens to include a, a masked killer um, element. Yeah, so that's, that's the first thing I got when I first started watching it, like the whole 90s. You know, like you said, how it switched from like the 80s slashers to like the 90s, you know, uh, version of it. I really got a, like a scream feel from it. Yes, in a, from a different like from a different point of view. Absolutely. And it is, it's, it's, I think with what we see in, in the horror genre is just these kind of recycled trends, you know, like when, when we're looking at narrative structure and we're looking at kind of the way that, that these stories are being told, uh, the eighties resurfaced in the late two thousands, mid two thousands, um, nineties is slowly kind of coming back in. You know, the, the way that we can prey on, on people's nostalgia, I think is, you know, in, in, in a way that doesn't feel like a gimmick because mm-hmm. I think the minute it begins to feel like, oh, you're just doing pure fan service, it can take you out of the film completely. Um, so, you know, it's, it's finding the line to, to make sure you can align with certain fans, but also try to wait, you know, find a way to, to reintroduce um, modern audiences to who might not have seen those films. See, I didn't, I didn't get that feel from it. I didn't get the feel that it was like a fan service thing. Um, I totally felt that it was like a, a genuine, you know, film definitely on its own. Like there wasn't a lot of stuff just thrown into there, you know, because of the 90s and stuff like that. You know, I really felt it was, um, you know, kind of like um, like a different approach, you know, to, you know, what a slasher film is going to be. Yeah, I, I, I was as I was watching it, I got the um, I got the feel of uh, I know what you did last summer and Scream as well. And yeah, as I'm watching it, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like, oh, they're just redoing. Oh, I've seen this before. It was it was OK. I, I can see I can see the influence. You know, and it, it it did not definitely did not take me out of the, of the film. I, I I really enjoyed it. What was your favorite characters in the movie, and why? Favorite characters? Yeah, characters. Two characters each. 
Okay. And why? Two characters each. To- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's a quiz. Here's a here's a pop quiz. All right. Well. All right. Um, all right. Do you want to go first? You go first. Unfortunately, one of one of the characters that I enjoyed is not here. Um, he was he was supposed to be here. Um, the, the character of Brecken. Okay, um, who was pray, uh, played by Emrys? Emrys, Emrys, But I really, I really liked Brecken. I don't know if I spoil anything by talking about who he is or, or anything like that. But I enjoyed, and I was going to bring this up a little later on. Brecken is gay, and he he's hit on by another guy at the club, and he basically tells the guy to go fuck off. <laughs> and I was like, I was really happy about that. You know, not that I have anything against guy on guy because I'll watch anything. But um, <laughs> but what I'm, but what I was saying is that a lot of times, especially lately, homosexual men seem to be portrayed as very promiscuous and like will just jump in and out of bed like it doesn't matter. And the fact that he was like, no, I have higher standards than you. Like, you know, uh, I really I really enjoyed that. Good point. Yeah. I like that. Thanks, that's a Kevin. beautiful take. I think yeah. that's that you're not off the mark with saying that sometimes they can be portrayed in a certain way that's, I don't know, taboo or like they have to be hypersexualized all the time and that doesn't have to be the nature of their relationship. Um, I like that. That's a good take. I haven't heard anybody really say that about his character and that's, I think he would be glad to hear what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think it is true. It's also like it's so easy when you have certain elements where it's like you could quickly turn a character into a caricature. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and the more we can normalize um, any kind of uh, diversification in a character setting where it's like they don't have to be what we maybe have a preconceived notion to being, um, I think is, is, a, is a really exciting you know thing to do. And, and where I hope more cinema is going where, you know, you don't just end up with caricatures of archetypes. And it, it's, yeah. it's funny you say that because that, that's how, that's how Brecken tore this guy down. He was just like, here, he's like, you're the typical, like, you know, he's like, I'm, I don't have to be that, you know? So that spoke to you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. And John, John, what about you? What was your favorite character? Um, I'm gonna have to say one of my favorite characters, and I, I, I'm terrible with names. I it's 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 a thing that's always bothered me. It's it's the um, the guy from the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Is that yeah, Jake. Or? He was Jake. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, yeah. Jake. Jake. I I actually loved it because like I remember watching all those things with my kids. I have two kids. One's thirteen. One's um eleven. And I remember watching it and I was like, oh, the wimpy kid, the wimpy kid out there. And all of a sudden, like, I found out that, like, he was in it. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, wow, this is like a big deal. And then he got jacked and everything, too. So I'm like, oh, he's jacked, too. I'm like, this is great. Cut off you know, so it was like, it was, yeah, he had to cut off sleeves. And I was like, yes, he's good. Like this character, I really thought, like, um, you know, he kind of, kind of, you know, tried to keep it together he didn't want to go to the thing you know they probably should have listened to him obviously uh i i yeah it was good i think the whole like past of what i remember of him really like kind of like sucked me into the character and i you know it's just kind of like waiting for him you know how like you know he didn't want to be there and then all you know he tried to keep it together for the the most part but then like you know so that was my first favorite character my second favorite character all right (laughs) <laughs> is and I'm not just saying this just because she's here, all right? But it was it was Ivy because um, Let's give it up for Ivy. <laughs> she ass. Yes, <laughs> I, I really like that in in two different in two different ways because normally you have a slasher film like this with the with the killer with the with the mask, and it's just. He's just abominable and, and will not stop. And, you know, and he, she like gives him a couple of uh, punches and kicks and whatever. And, and he gets knocked out, you know, and she like she knocks him on his ass. And I, I like that. It, it makes the it makes the killer it makes the killer humanizes them, um, which makes it more believable, you know, um, but it also raises it raises the character 
by saying she she's tough. It's hard to kill her. Okay. Um, so so there was that plus female female kicking ass. Like it, it's it, we need more of that. I, I know a lot of I know a lot today. It seems like you know it, sometimes it might be like shoehorned and like done on you know done almost overdone you know but i i feel like i feel like the character um was was perfect in um strong female uh lead and that's all like elizabeth po elizabeth went through hell for that role like i mean you should have seen the bruises on her legs and her her hips and like she was so adamant i, I have to give so much props to her that she was so invested in being it's not even about being a survivor. It's just being a thriver. You know, she's got to do this stuff and she's going to kick ass and it's going to look effortless. But, but uh, yeah, she went through the ringer on that. I'm, I'm sure you remember those massive bruises, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, oh, did you have to, did you have to train for that? Well, like, how did you get, how did you prepare for that particular? So, I mean, I knew the day was coming. I had never you know, done um, a fight scene like that in a film before. Um, so I was really excited about it. And it's funny, like Jake was saying with the, uh, the bruises all over my body, they kept being like, Elizabeth, you don't actually have to throw yourself to the floor. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Like I'm gonna throw my, I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. And I walked away black and blue, but it was a blast. I, um, I prepared for it, um, but I did have a, a great partner to work with on set. Um, his name is Ryan. What's Ryan's last name? Powers. Pa Ryan Powers. Uh, he was excellent to work with. And so, you know, when you see people getting shoved up against the wall or thrown to the floor, um, they give you all the tactics and the ways to do that so that you keep yourself safe. But there was a part of me that was really just kind of throwing my own self around. And, and it was so much fun. It was probably the most fun I had in the entirety of working on that film. I walked away from it thinking, man, maybe I should just be a stunt girl because it was, it was a blast. <laughs> and I felt, I felt powerful. I mean, I know it's, it's scripted and it's not exactly real, but there's a, there's a feeling of power when you get to, to complete a scene like that. It was, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. The, the, the fact that you, the fact that you got through it and the, and the fact, and not only got through it, but looked good doing it, that, that should get, that should make you proud right there that you, you know, that, that should be power right there. Yeah, I want to flip the script. I don't want to, you know, you see the blonde girl at the beginning of a horror and you're like, oh, she's going to die in like five seconds <laughs> going screaming into the woods like some idiot. And and Ivy got to, to change that dynamic, I think. So hopefully other people don't always think the blonde's going to is That is a, that's the first <laughs> Sorry, that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, oh, she ain't gonna make it. <laughs> She's out of here. She's out of I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy you. Uh... Oh, to add to what Elizabeth was saying from a producer standpoint, we were working with Jacob, and the the night before we went into callbacks. If you really want to take it there, and um, actually, we'll take it one more further. We'll when I when I first read the script, there was a certain roles that we were talking about challenges on how this is gonna to come together from a casting point of view. And Ivy always stood out. My sister and I quickly talked about a few handful of characters. We're like, wow, this is a really strong character. And this also provides an opportunity because of the landscape of what the other characters within the project are within the screenplay that you could really discover somebody right here who's working that doesn't, that because there's so many dynamics to the character to keep it going. Like you saw the fight scenes and the physicality. Um, so Elizabeth Posey brought a multi-dimensional um, um, capabilities that Jacob was able to uh, recognize that with us in the casting process. And that was something that we, we really looked uh, heavily into. Like, can she carry this role? You saw the action. Ivy's, you know, it, it has to work. You know, so we felt that she brought that. <clears throat> and so, Jacob, if you want to add to Thank that. Uh, Elizabeth Posey is very talented. Well, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. She, I am a fan. Bina, 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 a strong female myself. You read these scripts, and being originally from in front of the camera, I read thousands of scripts. 
and I'm sure you guys all have as well. Uh, by you guys, I mean you guys. Um, when you read a good script and you see these characters, you just have this vision of what something should be. And Brandon and I and Jacob, under, he knows the way we think. We're, we're a total team at this point. But Ivy really did come off the page. And it was something that was so ready to, it was ready for somebody to come in the room and be like, you know what, I'm going to win the role. And that was Elizabeth Posey. She came in. She, I mean, I'll always say when she had me personally at like her boots were like, she's, she walked in with a purpose. And then the minute she said her name with her husky voice, I was like, mind you, I have short attention span and ADD. So it's really hard to get my attention. Her <laughs> voice though, I was like, okay, you know, she commanded, she commands your attention in a very effortless, easy way. And when I, as a producer, look at somebody who is going to lead a film, I look at everything that Elizabeth Posey has naturally. Wow, can we do podcasts like at the beginning of every this week? Is the, this is the, the, big, the, big, oh the big stupid Elizabeth yeah, Posey yeah. is an amazing actress yeah. podcast. <laughs> Okay, now, now, now Jacob's going to come in. Now Jacob, Jacob comes so in. So anyway, let me just tell you guys about Elizabeth Posey. I don't know if you guys have uh, seen her in the film. Um, Do you guys know who Elizabeth Posey is? Have you I hear she's great. I hear, I hear she's great. But I also think it's fun, you know, in, in just a more broad sense to just kind of bring it away from, you know, self-indulgence here, which is, is just the idea of, of the final girl. Uh, and not to, you know, obviously I don't want to spoil anything for any listener that hasn't seen the film, but I think it's it's really interesting to explore the dynamics of what defines what we know to be what we would say the final girl. And I think adversely to what you guys were talking about earlier, where it's like when you see a blonde come on screen in the beginning and maybe she's maybe a little meek or maybe she's a little awkward. It's like, oh, she's the final girl. And I think the fun of a movie, uh, a slasher type film is to is to challenge the audience's notion on what we as a culture have become accustomed to the final girl being oh yeah. she's got she's got to be weak and she has to find some sort of like it's like it's 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 like saying weakness is somehow uh, debilitating and i think that it's fun you know in a modern setting to say that you can use trauma as 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 a catalyst to really to drive and i think that's what ivy does through the film is is use her trauma and use her history to actually drive her to new heights instead of having to be just like a victim of tragedy. Um, and I think it's fun to be able to explore those dynamics, you know, in, in a film, uh, like a, a genre film like this. Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you, was there anybody that you, um, anybody in your life or anybody that you uh, admire or anybody that you pulled from to portray Ivy? Whew. Um, you know, I would say, gosh, there's a multitude of people um, maybe this is such a cliche answer, but my mom has always been such like an absolute badass woman. She's a teeny tiny little blonde, 90 pounds soaking wet. And, um, but she, she went through a lot of, of strife growing up. Um, she grew up in Chicago. It wasn't easy. Her family had nothing and no one. She took care of herself. Um, and she's powerful, but you wouldn't necessarily see it when you looked at her and she derives that power from intelligence and maybe having a little bit of a broken upbringing and you would never know, but, um, she's obviously everybody looks up to their mom, but, uh, I got to have a strong, powerful woman raise me. Um, and it wasn't because she always had it easy. So I think it's those people who have had some of the more difficult moments in life that end up being the one who makes it to the end. Um, so yeah, maybe that's cliche, but I love you, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a lot of strong women in my life too. I'm, I'm one of three girls. Um, so I've had a lot of, of strong, smart, beautiful women to look up to so I'm lucky nice Jacob I wanted to ask you did you feel it was important to write characters that had issues with mental health like Jake Pierce and Ivy they all they all had something that they were dealing with and and trying to get through and like you said with with Ivy it it makes her stronger it, it that's what drives her and pulls her through 
Absolutely. I, I think, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that there's a huge mental health crisis in this country. Um, and there's such a stigma, I think, to what people perceive mental health to be, that, that if you're not to the fourth degree or the 10th degree, or you're not, you know, then you're not. The idea, the, the idea of what mental health uh, represents is, is vast. And I think if we can find a way to introduce characters who have some sort of thing they're dealing with, but it doesn't debilitate them from also their humanity, it's important to see those sides because I think it's so easy for us to say, I'm so mentally sound and this person is crazy and just throw a label onto somebody or throw, Oh, they're depressed or, Oh, they're dealing. And it's it suddenly like somehow, again, like we were talking about earlier with trauma, it somehow makes them on a lower, you know, totem pole than you. And it's like, that's not true. Like if we, if we start having conversations and normalizing that mental health is, manageable and it's able, you know, we should have a conversation and, and you can have both sides of it. You can be what appears to be mentally sound and also very broken. And I think that those are the most compelling because there's a lot of us that are like that. There's a lot of us that are straddling both sides that they're trying to put on this facade every single, you know, day and be okay. And they, and, and then maybe some days they are okay. And then other days they're not, and that's okay. And I think that if we can have, that conversation and we can we can see characters in a movie even on these heightened realities where there's a killer and there's drugs and there's all these high stakes and it's like yeah but when you distill it down these are just people who are, who are trying to be people and live in a world where they're being judged constantly they're they're having to put on face and 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 what are those relations how, how does that actually strain their relationships how can they strengthen their relationships so yeah i think it was very important to see people and, and hopefully a light where the audience watching it could say, Oh, I know that person or that person is me or that person is my sister or that person is my friend. And if you can create any, any kind of connection like that, you've got your audience, you know, to some degree, because then they're, then they're on for the ride. They don't think that you're trying to give them some ham fisted preachy message. They're just going to ride the, you know, the, the wave with you and say like, there is an authenticity to this, you know, maybe it's not real life, but it's real enough where I feel like I'm connected to it. So I, I do believe it's super important, um, not just to spread, you know, social commentary, but also in just the connection with the audience that's watching the film. No, I was just going to say, and to add, just to add to that, um, you know, I, my character struggled with body dysmorphia, which is actually something I struggle with myself. And I think it's uh, a lot of, young women in our world now are struggling with it more and more every day based off of Photoshop and altering yourself and the constant need to be perfect. And the fact that, you know, you go on Instagram and everybody's lives are completely tailored to make them look a certain way and that their bodies are a certain way, their faces are a certain way. Nobody looks like that. And it's something I struggled with. I've been struggling with since I was, you know, probably 10 years old. So to have a character like that, that's openly dealing with body dysmorphia, I think is important to a lot of young women out there. It's interesting, Jacob, that you, that you brought this up because we've had on the show a couple of times, the series, The Shift, who are dealing with uh, mental health with uh, young people and trying to change the conversation because it is... Like you said, there is a stigma about well, oh, you well, you you have some kind of problem. You have mental health issues. You have, you know, um, schizophrenia or whatever it is, and they're trying to change that ideas to get young people to talk about it. And how you touched on it, Jacob and and, and Elizabeth, how you said about Facebook and how you're portrayed to everybody else today more than ever before in in the world. It's just that everybody is out there. Everybody is, is on display. And it's funny because I'm watching this movie and I really felt old watching this movie because <laughs> I'm watching these, these young people and, you know, you know, on the phone and they're all just gorgeous. And, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't relate to these people at all. And not in a, ne not in a negative way. I'm just like, I'm just too fucking old. Like, you know, um, and I'm like that, you know, that, that's just <laughs> like, if we went to a rave, 
<laughs> we'd be like not for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing. We'd be in traction. Yeah, was... There's no way we could handle a rave. But I think there's something, and maybe maybe you guys could speak to that. But but there's something aspirational about something. I feel like you know one of the reasons you want to set a setting like that is for people with that exact mindset, which is like, I don't want to go to Coachella because I don't want to be on my ass for two weeks, and I don't want to do you know copious amounts of drugs or whatever. Like, but I can watch this movie and and experience it almost like vicariously <laughs> through these people. So it's like, I can laugh at the fact that it's like, yeah, I can't do that. But like, it's great that these gorgeous people who, you know, live, live a really nice life can. Yeah. Um, maybe, the, you know, there, there's something perhaps to, to that, to, to, to speak to the point of like, I can't relate <laughs> because I also, you know, I'm 32 and I don't think I could survive uh, that myself. Now, now, speaking of, I'm going to say 90%, 95% of the movie is taking place at a rave. How important was the was the music and the soundtrack to um, to this film? Extremely unimportant. It was very ancillary, and we didn't even think about it. It was just it was an afterthought, to be honest. I, hate I mean, music. I yeah, hate it. I think you know, Crystal, Brandon, you, we basically were just like, well, I hope we can license some songs, like. <laughs> hopefully Snoopy can give us some songs or something. Yeah, ho hopefully there's there's someone out there. Um, no, I, I think, uh, listen, I love music. Um, I've loved this since I was a kid. And I think part of the fun of setting a, a, a film within the world of music is music. And so the ability to, uh, you know, every song in the film outside of two tracks were all, all original songs that were done for this film. Um, you know, there's there's two uh, lyrical songs that we we license, but um, otherwise the EDM tracks, the score, everything else was completely original to the film, and we we felt that that was an important thing from the beginning. When you know, one of the initial conversations I had with Brandon Crystal about the film was when they came to me with with the idea of doing a film together. It was like they said we'd love it to have a musical component. Like that was part of the, the pitch to me, which was before I even started to write a script was like knowing going in, they wanted a musical element to it. And so I think, you know, they were on the same page in, in sense of like, that's part of the experience. You know, the music is an experience in itself. And, and if we don't sell that and we don't do it right, then the movie doesn't work. Um, so there was a lot of foresight into to that conversation and to get to where we are now with, with the music. And we said, add to what, um, whatever speaks to you. Mm -hmm. long as long as it was a <laughs> Jacob is so smart though I really think he's one of the I put him in he's in my top three smartest human beings and most interesting Jacob, it's, it's, ever met. it's my turn for this <laughs> yes <laughs> I can't wait we've done the Elizabeth Posey show uh, yes. now it's gonna be now it's gonna be mine um, uh, we'll, circle, exactly we'll like. circle back to John and Kevin here like we'll, we'll find a way to, to bring you guys back. John I love that watch you're wearing that I, I see it's it's a great watch it's a beautiful hey, thank, thank you. When times are normal, I've been spending the last four or five years in Ibiza in Spain every year. And growing up, I love music, but I love pop culture. I love top 40. I love indie rock. I, I was raised, born and raised in Southern California. So I was raised listening to No Doubt and the Cranberry. It just, you know, like a whole different... Thing. So I didn't personally grow up listening to EDM dance music. And when I was, when I was spending my summers in, in Ibiza and I was seeing like this whole like cluster of people that were really moved by, and I was talking to Brandon about it and saying like, wow, like, okay, this, this is a real thing. Like people are not going to Coachella or these festivals all over the world for no reason we need to research and, and kind of dive into that. And I was really fascinated by it. I was really, cause I was the fish out of water, so to speak. And when I came back and I talked to Brandon and Jacob, I just loved like the beats per minute and what, you know, these songs really gravitate towards people. They like to lose themselves and feel something. I just thought like, Hey, that's something that I'm really interested in learning more about. Yeah. So we had a couple of different genres of music and then Jacob went off and, figured out which one we were gonna like work best with the tone of the script and everything. And we walked to Trader Joe's and figured it all out. <laughs> and we were like, yeah. And then we were coming up with ideas, you know, like 
hey, I got an idea. I got a friend, my friend, Eva Shaw. What's up, Eva? <laughs> and uh, she has a label, Matt Fatty, and her partner, um, Showtech, or Wouter. And they were like, people quickly came on. Uh, she was an actress before and ended up modeling and DJing. And then, so I've known her for uh, quite a while uh, from New York. And so we were like, okay, cool. We brought her in and she helped. So we had the authenticity and uh, to gather a group of musicians, Crystal was in Ibiza and, and, and talked to some of her, her and Jock's friends and sort of like really just kind of made it, made it up and, and did these custom songs with uh, Jacob. His DJ Johnny Gleason, he was like playing all over the place. I mean, he ended up being DJ Dreamcatcher Dylan's character. Music wise. Music uh, wise. So like his actual character's music. And they were doing a, a couple custom songs. If you want to tell them a little bit more about that, Jacob. They did some custom songs for us. They were really good. They were they were very EDM heavy and uh no, it's 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 interesting to talk about like all of the you know you just listen to Brandon talk about all this work that went into actually just getting the people on board, and it was before there was a movie, and so then it it becomes about once there is a movie, you have to kind of work backwards and say like here's the scene now we need to write music around that and and with EDM it's in, it's 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 actually I think kind of challenging because when you when we're shooting we're blasting these songs on set that that are not the songs that we're going to put in the film and so you know when we're getting into post and, and it's like the the artist can hear these temp tracks and and you know obviously temp tracks can be daunting because you don't want to get tied to like well it has to sound exactly like this song or the scene doesn't work um and we had all these incredible artists that that brandon crystal had lined up uh, through their through their connections and and so it was really an exploratory thing to say like here's the scene here's what we kind of shot. This is the sound that it kind of sounded like, but really go figure out what the best version of this is. Yeah. And, and I think that that was kind of the exciting part about the, the discovery of what the, the final songs ended up being um, was, was not feeling so tethered to something so concrete. Um, I got a question. I got a question. What were some other like musical, like, like genres you were thinking about with the movie? Other than EDM, was was there anything else you were uh, kind of thinking of doing, or direction uh, of the film to go in? Personally, no. When Brandon Crystal first brought it to me, the, their idea that had been kicked around prior to my hiring uh, was actually in the world of hip hop. Um, it was kind of like a post Malone type character uh, who who was in the desert, and you know, it was more leaning into like the Coachella culture. Of, of these desert shows, these desert festivals and some people who got involved um, through there. And, and I didn't think it, it, it was not, a. it's not about the interest level and where it was more about my own sensibilities. And I just didn't feel like I knew enough about that genre of music or that, that genre or that, that headspace of music to really step in and tell that story. Um, and also, you know, when I was thinking about it, EDM solved a lot of problems for us because it's, it's a masked character. There's no questions asked. There's no reason to explain to the audience why a character would be wearing a mask. You've got Marshmallow, you've got Daft Punk, you've got Dead Mouse, like all of these artists who are renowned for their, their facade, not necessarily yet. Yeah, their music is great, but they're known more by their personality. They're by their mask, by their costume. And so it kind of became a very simple, you know, process for me where I was like, if we said it in EDM, like our masked character is a DJ and then that mask is repeatable. Anybody could wear that mask and then you're Marshmallow. Now you're Dead Mouse. Now you're Dreamcatcher. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a very uh, fluid process to just say like, we don't have to spend 30 minutes of screen time explaining the mythos of the iconography of the character. We can just slap a mask on a DJ and it's like, well, I buy it. I've seen it, you know, and then, and then if somebody else were to put on a mask and start killing people, people aren't asking questions about where or why they have that mask. It's like that mask is a DJ's mask and that DJ is well known. And so it's, you know, it's, it would be no different than if somebody slapped on the dead mouse helmet and started murdering people, people would be like, okay, that makes sense. Like <laughs> he, wears, he wears that mask and whoever is going to try to copy that, like I buy it. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of very organic things that helped the narrative without presenting more questions, which is always great. 
Now, how did you come up with the the design of the mask? Because to me, it looks like a variation on the plague mask from uh, you know back in the back in the day. That's exactly that's exactly what it is, Kevin. Thanks for spoiling everything. Uh, for, no, I'm just I'm kidding. Um, there was there's a couple things uh, we we you know when when Brandon and Chris and I were talking about the design, like. Uh, and I brought in an old colleague of mine from Marvel Studios. His name is Josh Herman. He's a very, very talented artist. Um, designed many of the Iron Man suits, the Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and just understands practicality as much as he understands design. And so we were talking about it, and I was like, the design needs to feel distinct, but it also can't be forthcomingly scary because it also has to be viable that like whoever is not the killer could put on this mask and spin music and it's like this isn't terrifying at all but if you put it in the right lighting and and you you know in the right angles it could be kind of haunting and so it was trying to marry the idea of it doesn't need to be absolutely terrifying but it has to feel modern it has to feel chic and in the right lighting it has to feel scary um and so i was really inspired by you know josh started doing all these these early sketches these 2d sketches because we were just trying to understand the, the actual design language and um, the exaggeration of the human face and then blending in the elements of like a barn owl where they kind of have these large vacant eyes. Um, and then we, you know, use the weaving of an actual dream catcher to kind of inlay into the mask and make the eyepiece the center of the dream catcher, which in folklore is actually, you know, kind of like this portal, this idea of, of the, the center of a dream catcher is, is essentially this portal into the other side. And if the eyepiece is that portal and there is a big black void where the soul would be, it just adds like another element to this character. It's like, well, all the weaving is intertwined around this giant vacant black hole. Um, and uh, secondarily, I was also really inspired by Brian De Palma's um, Phantom of the Paradise, which is an old 70s film um, that deals with Faust, that deals with music, um, which has a really cool masked character, kind of like Phantom of the Opera. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to marry all these different elements into, into one design that really made sense. Crystal and Brandon, what attracted you to this film? Like what, what was it about this that said, I, I, wanna, I wanna do this? Well, we, we have this thing where <laughs> we're not twins, but we, we practically are. We ask our mom all the time, like, are you sure you didn't mess up? Because she probably did. Um, and one of the things that we, we always say is- If it gives us goosebumps, then we're, pretty, we're on our way to making something happen. And in this case, we um, we knew Jacob for like six years, I think, yeah. so we have another project with him um, and we were used to developing with him. So we, we sort of like these John Hughes movies from the 90s, Scream, which sort of Wes and Kevin came in and sort of said, hey, you can make a ensemble slasher film and it can still be funny and no one's doing it, Here, here's, here you go. And then it turned into more and, and the rest is history. And so Crystal and I just thought, well, you know, he, it didn't work that first film with us, we developed it. He did, all, you know, an amazing development job um, and it just didn't come to fruition. Uh, the timing wasn't right. And so we had that working relationship with him and knew the process. So, so we had the opportunity I said, hey, let's call Jacob and see if he's available to do something. We have some certain things and areas and points that we're trying to hit and see if he has anything. And so uh, one thing led to another, and, and that's the conversation earlier, is where we just wanted a, an element of music and, um, and we wanted a young adult and we had these, um, these you know, certain, certain vision and, and marks that we were trying to hit from like a, a visual and an audio standpoint. Jacob, how do you approach a film like this? Like, uh, you know, slasher, ensemble? Um. It's, it's honestly about who you surround yourself with, like to be perfectly honest. And, and that's, I think from any film and any budget and any genre, it's, it's all about who you fill, you know, those, those roles around you. Um, and if you, you fill it with competent, passionate, excited people, then the movie is really going to come together in the best possible way. Because the thing is, and you know, you can, I'm a big storyboarder. I like to be as prepared as possible. And I know Brandon and Crystal are also very uh, uh, diligent in terms of just wanting to make sure that things are, you know, the best possible like setup. So, you know, we're all set up for success. Mm -hmm. But the thing about filmmaking is it can get very, uh, 
grueling. It can get very exhaustive. And, and so the more you can surround yourself both on the talent side um, and behind the camera with people who are, who are passionate and smart and amazing at what they do, but are not solely defined by their craft, you know, there's still a real, a real level of humanity. That's to me, the best setup like that. That's how I would, when that's how I do approach it, because it's like, when you have that backing, even on your worst days, you're not failing, you know, even on, on those days, you're still finding a way to come through. And with genre films, I think you have to be specific, like very careful because you've got, you know, heavy makeup days, you've got stunt days, you've got, you know, these big, these big set pieces to do and you have to kind of do them right. And you have to make sure that everybody feels excited <laughs> and we're doing night shoots. I mean, like nine tenths of this film takes place at night. So it's like getting the, the actors to make sure that they're not too exhausted, you know, from doing 4, 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. every single day, you know, for, for three weeks straight. Like it's, it's, a, it's a real process, but making sure that everybody just feels heard and, and safe and excited to be there, I think is the environment I, I really aim to foster. So you can execute a film uh, with a real high ambition level. Um, you know, that the, the, there's going to be challenges that come up, but the more you can kind of have that foresight and the more you can surround yourself uh, with very people. To add, I'll, make, I'll tell you a funny story. Jacob loves this one. We, we were supposed to start at, um, we had the rave location. It was a 55,000 square foot location. Kevin, you asked this question earlier. Yeah, so we, we ended up having, um, finding a dynamic location. Jacob knew about it. We both knew about it. And we knew that the, that location was going to play a major part of the script because how are you going to put, there's this John Hughes, there's this like cool slasher movie, like there's all these deep characters, there's so much going on. And now we have to pull up the party scene. And so Jacob's like drawing all his uh, storyboards. storyboards, getting ready to, to start at, at one of the houses. And um, we scored, it's independent filmmaking. So we scored a deal on location. So we're like, hey, what if we can get, the big giant warehouse plus the parking and everything for twice as many days. And for a director, that's like a dream. He's like, yeah, two, one, uh, two more days than we can get one more than he thought. So he was like a kid, you know, a kid in a sandbox or like, Oh my gosh, like here you got it. So that, so the only challenge was, is one is how we, someone had to call him and tell him <laughs> and two, once he, how he, was he going to take it and, and re uh, adjust his whole dynamic plan on how to execute. So we went in right into the uh, rave Trenches. scene on day one. Trenches. With and also this was two weeks wow. out of production. <laughs> we were two weeks away from shooting and, and the idea was we were going to start in like the conversational, like, regular house setting where we're just having a sit and talk on the couch. And that was going to be our first week was going to be easing everybody in. And it was, it was all storyboarded and ready to go. And then, and then I get this call and they're like, Hey, by the way, we got the warehouse for double the time. Um, <laughs> the only caveat is we have to shoot this the first week, which is in <laughs> six days. <laughs> and, and, and secondarily to that was, that was also the day where we were going to have, every actor in the film, all of the, like that was the first day the ensemble was gonna have to shoot. It was like really thrusting everyone into this very heightened environment. You know, the emotions are at a hundred on our first day of shooting. And, yeah. and we just had to kind of roll with the punches, but it was, it was like what Brandon was saying, it was like, well, would you rather wait and get two less days at this location where you know you're gonna have to have all these ambitious sequences happening or do we switch things around and you just have to storyboard a little faster and maybe plan, you know, things a little faster. And in the end, I, I think it, uh, and maybe Elizabeth can speak to this, but I, I do believe it maybe brought the actors closer together faster because they were thrust into a very heightened environment quite fast uh, from like day one of shooting. It ended yeah. up working out in our favor because, and then Elizabeth, you can elaborate on this, is that you guys all got to hang out on set together and mesh well you guys met each other before and mesh but you were able we were all like a united front from day one like we're going into this real big challenge like this helter skelter thing like making a movie but we're making it like even more fun right now and jacob's gonna figure it out and we got his back <laughs> it was so it, it was, were in, it right? was so cute because we're gonna party <laughs> yeah we're gonna start with the party let's let's just party first <laughs> it was so cute though because jacob had his storyboard all ready he was you know and he is the most professional artist ever 
and he had it all laid out and it's like we gave him everything he wanted but nothing at the same time because yes we gave him double the days double the time but also flip the switch and it's just kind of like really made you have to pivot and I think through pivoting and being on your toes it also brought out like a, a new sense of creativity out of you because you didn't have you know you and I think genius and, and magic happens sometimes when you least expect it you heard it here folks guys I am a genius <laughs> and also a magician <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, we got to set and it was like, hey, welcome to set. All your friends and family are dead. Ready, set, go. Like, <laughs> oh, perfect. What do you Great. think, Elizabeth? How was it day one? Starting uh, at the warehouse. How was it showing up starting day one on the warehouse? It was great. It was so exciting. There was definitely an energy. And, you know, we did it this, a, a unique way with... Um, kind of like eliminated the whole trailer aspect of it. And we were all on a party bus together. Oh, nice. So nice. not only was that adding to the element of feeling like, Hey, you're arriving to a concert with all your, you know, best friends and family and a party bus. But when we were waiting for things to get set up or, you know, between takes, we were all sitting together and hanging out instead of being isolated in our own um separate rooms which that happens a lot on set you know they say cut and then they, then everybody just kind of scanters off to their own trailer and it's like very separate like your personal life remains separate from what you're doing on set so we got to have this little special place where we could all gather and get to know each other and we really were I mean I've been on on a, a lot of sets now since then and I've enjoyed everyone in a different way but this one was a family and I guess they were kind of forcing us to be a family, but it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. It was, um, it was really unique, special experience. Brandon and Crystal, tell us a little bit about Quarzo Studios. Yeah, so I'm excited. This is our first film under our new banner, Quarzo Studios. And um, our target demographic is young adult. We're specifically focused on doing teen thrillers, dramas, horror, Kind of like what we're doing here in this works we're, we're excited to experiment with this um space at this time what do we have going on next elizabeth what what's going on for you um well right now i'm actually in atlanta right now heading back to la friday um but i'm shooting um a show called heels right now which is going to be on stars uh, i can't say much about who my character is or what she does but um it's going to be an excellent show. It's about WWE wrestling, super unique script. Um, Mike O'Malley, showrunner and writer. He's fantastic. Um, got to work with uh, Pete Siegel, director. Um, he's incredible. Um, a lot of great actors that people are going to know and love. So it's, it's gritty and it's fun and it's unique. So everybody tune in when it comes out, I think summertime. And then I have a movie actually coming out that I filmed Gosh, forever ago now, but it's called Gully and it'll be finally coming out beginning of April. And that's it right now. Hopefully more soon. Jacob, to you. Um, I'm gonna be directing the next Avengers film. Um, I don't know if it's, you, you've, I'm just kidding. Did you imagine? You heard it here first, you heard it here first, guys. Yeah, so casual about it. Yeah, yeah. Even, even Elizabeth was like, wait, what's going on? Um, I was like, no. whoa, wait, 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 nobody's heard about this. Yeah, it's, uh, this was a big exclusive for you guys. Um, no, it's, uh, I spent, I spent a lot of last year uh, trying to get, you know, a lot of irons and a lot of fires because it was a, a very tumultuous year for everybody. Um, but I spent a lot of time writing and, and really focusing on what's next and have a project with uh, Brandon and Crystal that we've been developing for six years now. Um, that might be finally seeing the light of day, which is really exciting. And then a uh, couple other things that, that can't really talk about right now, much like Elizabeth, when you have the NDAs in front of you, uh, but it is not any, anything related to Avengers. So let me just clear the air there. that There, there is no affiliation there um, for anybody listening. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, listen, I've, it's such a gift when you meet people like Brandon, Crystal, Elizabeth, people that you really just jive with and, and creatively get and um you know if i can continue to make movies with with these individuals for the rest of my life i would be a lucky man 
Aww, Chris, Jacob. Well, Brandon, what do, you, what do you guys? Well, Brandon will go first on this one. What's next for me? Right now, I'm not doing anything. I'm just kind of hanging out, um, enjoying uh, enjoying Dreamcatcher came out on Friday. So I've just been hanging out and uh, kind of just enjoying the moment. But as far as projects, is that what you're asking? Yes. Yeah. We have a couple. Of- <laughs> what are you doing next, Kevin? How about you, John? <laughs> Nothing. Go to bed. <laughs> Go to bed. Yeah, yeah, I walked around my coffee table five times. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go to the gym exci- in the morning. Gonna, That's about it. This is an exciting time. This is a very exciting time for I think everybody. And I always tell Jacob and Elizabeth when I when I chat with them that it's really cool because you know last year with the pandemic happening, it like really like suck the air out of everybody. And it really kind of was a beautiful thing. If you want to look at the silver lining the fact that it really kind of like brought us back to the sim- like the simplicity of everything and living life and whatnot. And so here we are, and we're so grateful that our movie finally came out after getting pushed back a few times. And so here we are and how many people get to release a movie currently. I mean, luckily the theaters are starting to open up, but like here we are, and it's hard not to, just be grateful for the times where our movie is getting a lot of eyeballs, it's getting a lot of attention. And I think through this, people, actors like Elizabeth, our writer, director like Jacob, we're, it's gonna be a launching pad. It's gonna be a, a time where if it was regular times, we'd probably be getting like flooded against huge, massive studio movies. And so I think like, wow, okay, instead of looking at everything like life is happening to us, it's actually happening for us. So to answer your question, I'm going to flip a coin because I'd like to see Dreamcatcher, the world of that kind of go on and, and, and see where it can go with that at the same time. Uh, our, our college murder mystery that we've been developing with Jacob, like he said, since 2013, um, that could be new energy and we can breathe new life into a world so I think uh, we'll have to just flip a coin in a couple of weeks and see where we go next. I was going to ask you, when is the sequel coming out? Because just I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, the, the way the way it ended, I was like, oh, we could go a long way with this. I just want to say in real life, I am also uh, a DJ. So yes. you know, I just, just throwing it out there. Kevin, come on in. You're in the next film. Kevin's yes. the star. Kevin is the lead. Kevin uh, and Harley. It's all about me. But. Yeah. Without your turn, we've we've kind of rotated around. Now it's time to highlight Kevin. Um, yes. Please, please send us your demo tracks or your completed tracks so we can find a place to stick them in. Um, and you'll see the casting notice, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So it's good to get. Right. Crystal's done yeah. flipping her coins. Get it on the books, y'all. And Kevin, books. John, who did you, yeah, who, who did you guys guess wrong, guess right? You know, like we wanted this whole like murder mystery, like spoiler alert, Brandon. Death. People listening might not have seen the movie yeah. yet. Yeah, well, well I, I, I was going to try and be vague. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. We like vague. Vague <laughs> is um, good. I'm, try, I'm trying to think because it's one of those like, I, I just go through the friggin' Rolodex, like, oh, it's got to be that. Uh, no. I, and it's funny because. There are there are times and and this is where this is where scream worked into my into my mind because I was like I was like well I think it might be this person but while this murder is going on this person is over here so it can't be them one of the great aspects of this film is trying to figure that out it, you know is trying to figure who who it is and yeah I I, I got it wrong a whole bunch of times. <laughs> You did you did throw us off, so that that was pretty cool. I, I I was also thrown off a little bit. Um, I really thought it was somebody, then it wasn't. Then I thought it was somebody. Then I'm like, oh, it's him again. And then it was once again. I was I was totally thrown off and totally like like I don't want to say amazed, but like amazed where it actually led to. And I was like, oh, I was like, wow. I was like, yeah, that's kind of messed up. You know what I mean? It was kind of like whoa. That that's the way I felt about it at the end. I was like, oh, and I, and I, as what Kevin said, I was like, you could do something else with this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like think this could go somewhere else. Yeah, you know. And what's kind of fun about what you said, Kevin, with Scream is like the thing that I love about Scream, and this is being also very vague, is like they really tell you from the beginning 
what it is. Like if you rewatch that movie, oh, it's, it's, 100%. Very, like, it's, oh. it's it's like they basically just hold up a sign and say, this is the killer and this is what's going on from like 30 minutes into the film. And it really yeah. isn't until you've seen it and you go back and you're like, man, they really did just tell me what it is. And I didn't even think to be like, yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, and I think that's kind of the fun of a story like this, where you have that opportunity because the audience is trying to be smarter than you, where they're just trying to be like, well, they're going to do this because this is the, this is the easiest way to do it, you know? And, and so I think those, those kind of just subverting those expectations is a, is a fun exploration to have in genre filmmaking in general. Absolutely. Is there any, any last words about Dreamcatcher that you guys want to, that you want to leave us with? Well, I've about prattled on here for 45 <laughs> minutes. So I think, I think I've said everything under the sun. So I'm going to leave it to the other guys. Elizabeth, what do you think? Uh, it was a labor of love and it was an awesome opportunity to get to have because, you know, they really took a chance on, on hiring me for this job because I had a limited resume at that time. And it is, kicked off a lot of things for me. So not only was it an amazing project to be a part of because of all the friends that I made, but um, I'm so grateful for them taking a chance on somebody who didn't maybe have a hundred long list of things they had already done and, and trusted me with the character. So thank you for that. I love you guys and tell your friends, tell all your friends. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's tell out, your tell your friends. Tell your friend. If you haven't, if you haven't <laughs> seen this film, go see it. I love how you said labor of love because that's what it definitely is. And, and we hope that it creates conversation, difficult conversation, not your stereotype. I hope you guys have fun. Crank up the music because as Brandon always says, it's audio and visual experience. And um, definitely have these conversations. Have, you know, it's exciting times. It's 2021. People are speaking up now. And I think it's the most wonderful thing that probably should have happened a long time ago. And the fact that here we are, I think that's the big takeaway from all of this. Yeah, uh, movies bring people together. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> In many ways. <laughs> Come check out our movie, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, John and I saw it, we absolutely loved it. And we, we recommend anybody, you know, if you have the chance to get to go see it, you, you know, Go go and go and watch it. It 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 was awesome, um, and and we've been we've been doing movie reviews for the past month. <laughs> so this is uh, our, I guess this is our last one, our last movie review for a while. I think so. so the best uh, for last. I think it is. And yes, it, definitely the best for last, Elizabeth. It, this was okay. this was great. I want to thank, thank you guys. I want to thank you guys for coming on the show, giving us your time. It was it was awesome. Once again, I want to thank Elizabeth, Elizabeth Posey, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Awesome. Crystal and Brandon Veda, ladies and gentlemen, give it up. And last but not least, Jacob Johnston, writer director. Very good. Thank you so much. This was a blast. And to you, John and Kevin, thank you guys so much. Yes. Amazing hosts. Yes, you were. You guys are amazing. Your energy, your smiles are infectious. Thank you so much for taking <laughs> the time to, to yeah, love and support Dreamcatcher. So excited. Spread the love, spread the word. Dreamcatcher out now on video on demand. <laughs> so check your local listings. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> John, you got anything else you want to say? Hey, have fun, everybody. Yeah. All right. Have fun. Fun's all about fun. We're having fun. You guys <laughs> Thanks. Have All fun. right. Have fun. Have fun, guys. Have fun. You've been listening to John and Kevin's Big Stupid Podcast. Presented in part by Anchor. Everything you need to be the podcast. All in one place for free. Check out anchor.fm today. Promotional considerations provided by Powerbar. The show's theme, High Octane, is provided by Ben Sound. Providing royalty-free music for your next project. Visit www.bensound.com for more. Guests at the Big Stupid Podcast receive no compensation for their time, their opinions, nor their half-big views. To be part of the show, email John and Kevin at bigstupidpodcast at gmail.com or call 201-338-0098 and leave a message. Participants will all rights to anything resembling coherence and or common sense. John and Kevin's Big Stupid Podcast is a presentation of Party Boss Productions Unlimited.